Well, good morning. I'm Nathan, for those of you who don't know me, and I'll just give you a warm welcome to, to Canterbury Gardens. We've had the privilege over the last few weeks of uh, going through uh, some psalms together, and we're going to continue that this morning, and we'll be primarily looking at Psalm 86. And I hope this will be an encouragement to you. It's been an encouragement to me as I've worked through the psalm over the last couple of weeks, and uh, is a prayer... And uh, there are some amazing things uh, to be discovered as we work through that. If you don't have a Bible, please come and grab one. The text also will be up on the, on the screen uh, over there. Let's pray. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you this morning as uh, needy people. Father, you are the one true God who knows all things. Uh, You know our hearts, you know our love for you, you know where we fail. But Father, we thank you that your character is gracious, it is merciful, it is steadfast. Father, we thank you that you love us because you see us through the precious sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, this morning as we look at this uh, wonderful psalm, we pray that you'll impact our hearts afresh. Guide us by your spirit, we pray this morning. Enrich our time together. We pray this in Jesus' most powerful name. Amen. I remember when I was a, a small boy. Now, some of you might find that Difficult to understand, but uh, I was probably five or six, seven years old, and uh, I'm from a rural background. Uh, my hometown is Hastings, New Zealand, and it's a it's a place full of horticulture, face place full of agriculture, and one of the key events every year in the calendar of Hawke's Bay was something called the Hawke's Bay A and P Show. Now, you may say, well, what on earth is that? Well, A&P is agriculture and produce. Okay, so, and it was just a, it was a wonderful show. And I remember uh, vividly as a young man, young boy, going to the show for the first time with my father. I, d- I don't remember my mother or my brothers being there, but I remember it was a big day and, and Dad and I went off to the show. And, uh, you know... The first time you go to something, you're, in, you're sort of in awe and wonder about everything that's going on about you. I'm sure you can remember times like that where you, you maybe first go to a live theatre show or the first time you went to the movie theatres or, you know, you, you're sort of, or the first time you went to the zoo. You're in awe and wonder about the things around about you. Well, I was a bit like that with this show with my dad. And, and um, as every good A&P show has, you have all sorts of events going on, all sorts of competitions. and For whatever reason, maybe it's my New Zealand heritage, I was transfixed by the sheep shearing display. And um, it wasn't just a normal sheep shearing display, this was a competition. All right? So you had uh, four or five burly blokes in their black singlets and, and uh, shearing ten sheep at a time to, to see who could shear them the fastest. 
And there was a large crowd gathered. And now we're talking Hawkesbury, rural New Zealand, so a large crowd might have been 50 people. But, you know, so there was a, in my terms, this crowd was huge. And I was little, and I couldn't see the sheep shearing. And, and this was quite disturbing. So I was standing next to Dad, but I thought, oh, I'm going to do something about this. And I sort of started squeezing between people and getting towards the front of uh, the stadium so I could see the, the action. And that was all good and well. And I squeezed the front and I watched the, watched the marvel of sheep shearing. And uh, then the competition finished. And I looked around and I thought, oh, where's Dad? So in a, in a small voice, I, I cried, Dad, what you do? And uh, there was no response. And then in a, in a bit of a louder voice, I cried, Dad, where are you? I'm not quite sure about this, Dad. Um, no response. And then in anguish, I cried, Dad, where are you? And my dad was sort of at the back and he was watching me and thought I'll teach that young fellow a bit of a lesson about sort of <laughs> walking off in front. But he heard my cry and he answered me. Now in many ways our, our prayer life is like that. In many ways we only get on our knees when we're in some position of difficulty. We only cry out to our Father when, when we can't see the end. We're in some point of distress. This morning as we read this psalm, we'll get that type of feeling from this psalmist. But also, we will see that the psalmist calls us to say, in all circumstances, cry out to God. Not just in a place of trial, not just in the place of desperation, but throughout your walk with him, cry out because God is faithful. So let's read. We'll read uh, Psalm 86, and I'm not going to read the whole psalm. We're going to break it up into three verses. Some will say, oh, it's only a two-verse psalm. They can say that. I believe it's a three-verse psalm. So we're going to look at the three verses independently and then pull the collective together. Let's read. A prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you. 
for you answer me. As we open up the psalm, it's, it's obvious you, you see that the psalmist and the scribes of the time have aligned this psalm to a psalm of David. But we see if it is David or another psalmist, they are crying out to God. They're making a plea. And it's a very direct plea as you look through the words that are used. Firstly, the psalmist is crying out, God, incline your ear. Listen to me. Verse 3, I cry to you all day. So it's a it's a prayer or, or lament that is ongoing. The psalmist is saying, I'm crying. I want the Lord to hear me. I'm doing it often, continually. I'm calling upon you, God, listen to me. Listen to my plea for grace, verse 6. And then there's a surety that the psalmist comes out with because I know I'm in this trouble. I know I'm in this day, but the certainty to me is that you will answer me. And as you read through this, you see that the, the psalmist is really making three pleas. He's crying to God on, on three accounts. And you can see it up there. The first one is, oh God, just preserve my life. It's interesting as you read that verse, he, he makes the plea with a, a, a bit of a, oh, what I, when I first read this, I thought, oh, that's a, that's a little bit of a um, pious uh, request. Because he said, Lord, preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. So I'm glad the second line is there because the second line tells me that this is not a, a false position of humility about being godly. He's saying, I am godly because of these two facts. I'm godly because I'm your servant or slave. I'm someone who considers you my master. I'm trusting in you and you are my God. So his plea for preservation of life, or if you like, he's pleading to be uh, preserved from some life-threatening or some physical situation, is based on the fact that I trust you, God, to do what you will do. I am your servant and I'm trusting fully in you. So, you know, there's some instruction there. The psalmist has placed that there. And I guess as we cry out to God, we all have physical needs. We all have health issues from time to time. And as you cry out in, in your aspect of desperation as sickness takes over, I guess the application here is trust God. Trust him fully. 
because he knows. Another aspect of this verse when he cries out to preserve life is the name that the psalmist used to describe God. Now as you look through the text like this, you see and you all know that God has many names. Right, even just looking at the text up there, you see the very first verse, incline your ear, O Lord. You see Lord in capitals. That symbolizes a name of God called Yahweh or Jehovah. And when you come down a little bit, you see in verse 2, and we'll talk about this one here, you see God, spelled like that, and you come down to verse 3, be gracious to me, O Lord. Lord with a capital L and small letters. Each of those terms means a different name of God. And it is wonderful as he cries out to preserve me, O Lord, he uses the name of God called Elohim. And, you know, this is an abbreviation, uh, really, of some wonderful characteristics of God. Elohim talks about and means it's God's creative and governing power of, and sovereignty and all-powerful nature. When Elohim was used throughout the Old Testament, if you were a, a Jew of the time, you would, you would think about this is conveying something about God as creator, as the king, as the Lord, and as saviour. So the psalmist uses this, this name of God very, very carefully because he says, I trust you, you are my God, you are the creator, you are the king. You are the Lord and you are my Saviour. And I know that because your name shows to me that your character is full of compassion and full of covenant faithfulness. So the psalmist grabs this and says, this is whom I trust. You are my Lord, you're my God, you're my King. Name I've used shows supreme power, sovereignty and glory on the one hand and on the other hand it signifies a deep loving covenant relationship that God is faithful to keep. As we think about crying out to God, those same characteristics apply. Christ our Saviour is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He is faithful to his promises. When Christ says your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. When Christ's truth comes through and impacts your life and he makes promises, they are promises that are faithful. The psalmist knew who his trust was in. The psalmist knew that his trust was in the creator God, the king, the Lord and saviour, the one true God. 
as we cry out to God, we have the same certainty. Because we know that Christ is our Lord, Saviour and King. And that should thrill our souls. So that's the first plea in the psalmist. Preserve my life. The second plea is verse 3. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all the day. The psalmist here is just saying, I know who I am in my own self. I know who I am as a man and woman of God. And all I can do is cry upon your graciousness. So be gracious to me, O Lord. Uses the name of God called Adonai here. And Adonai really has, could be translated master. It has that term of, you are my master, Lord. You have ownership over me. You uh, know me intimately. And in turn, I need to be obedient to your will. So be gracious to me is his second plea because he knows who he is humanly. He knows he's requesting from the sovereign Lord of the universe these things. And he says, show grace. Show grace. You know, as we think about that, if we cry out, be gracious to me, O Lord, we have certainty that God does show grace. His grace is super abounding. His Spirit dwells within us and shows us grace after grace after grace after grace. We have the third plea here. So we have the first plea is preserve my life. Help me with my physical well-being. Second is be gracious to me, me, O Lord, the way you deal with me because I know who I am intimately. And thirdly, gladden the soul of your servant. Gladden the soul. He's crying out for spiritual refreshing. So take care of the physical stuff and we'll learn a little bit more about that further in the psalm as he talks about the enemies that are at his footstool. But his, his, his plea is, I need refreshment of the soul. I need to dwell and abide in your goodness. Gladden my soul. And I'm struck by this because you know what? As I look at our world, as I look at our daily routines and just what we do, We're a thirsty people who need soul refreshment. I'm a thirsty person who needs my soul refreshed daily. Because there's so many other pressures that, that squeeze us into the mold of this culture that I need to be before the Lord asking for soul refreshment. I don't know about you. Do 
You find at the start of the year your soul needs to be refreshed? Do you find out at the end of the year your soul needs to be refreshed? (laughs) We'll talk a little bit further about this as the psalm unfolds because I think the psalmist gives us some real keys of what it means to have your soul refreshed. And finally, we see that in these first seven verses that the psalmist bases his plea on what? On God's character. See the nature and character of God that comes out in verses 5 and 6, or verses 5? Listen, you, O Lord, are good. God is good. You, O Lord, are forgiving. God is forgiving. You, O Lord, are abounding in steadfast love. Your love does not change and it goes forever. And I will call upon you. So my plea to the psalmist's plea to God is based on God's very own character. That he's good, that he's loving, that he's forgiving. And that's what he bases his plea upon. Folks, as we plea before the Lord, let's plea on behalf of God's character and Christ's righteousness. Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, is loving, he's forgiving, he's full of abounding grace. And that's the basis by which we can call on his name with great certainty because the great certainty is there and we see it in verse 7 because he says I know you will answer me and you only know when you, someone's going to answer if you have a great deal of certainty about that person's character and the psalmist here has a great deal of certainty about the character of God as he calls upon his name So we have this plea, preserve my life, be gracious to me, gladden my soul. And we have a certainty that God answers and hears. Sometimes we're in places where we don't think God answers and hears. Sometimes we cry out to God and we think, well, what is going on? I asked for the Porsche the other day. It's not here. Might not be quite that extreme, but why aren't you listening, God? Oh, the Lord might be saying, well, do you see the bicycle in your garage? That will do. (laughs) You know, um, God does listen and he does answer. But his answers aren't based on your agenda. God's answers are based on your character development and your trust and your reliance upon him. You may not even like the answer you receive. But God is in the business of transforming your heart. God wants to transform your heart. 
Let's read the uh, second stanza. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. You see, in the midst of this prayer, the psalmist now turns his attention to acknowledge and exalt the one true God. He does that in verse 8, 9 and 10. Sets it out straight and flat. There is just none like you, O Lord. None like you at all. There are no works like yours. You know what? All the nations, O God, are going to come and worship before you. And they're going to glorify your name. For you do marvellous, wonderful things and you alone are God. It's just a simple bit of parallelism that the psalmist just drives deep in here. He says, even though the nations don't worship you now, one day they will because they see that you're the one true God. And then he moves to what I believe is the after explaining the wondrous works of God, he moves to what I see as the heart of this psalm. He's made his pleas. He's acknowledged who God is. And he humbly comes before God and says this, Teach me your way, O Lord. Here he uses the name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. The most significant Old Testament passage on Yahweh and Jehovah is Moses before the burning bush. You know, when Moses says to, to God, who shall I say is sending me? And God replies, I am that I am is sending you. So Yahweh is the one who was, who is, and who always will be. It's the supreme substance of God which has been talked about here. He is the ever-living God who reveals himself to his people as the unchanging God who remains faithful to his word through many generations. His unchangeableness of his promises and the whole revelation of his redeeming mercy gathers around this name, Yahweh. He is the great I am, the, who was, who is, and who always will be unchangeable and a redeemer of you and I through Christ. And that's the name that the psalmist uses to address here. And he says, the verb and the action he wants us here, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me. I'm, in my life, I haven't always been that teachable. How about you? 
Sometimes I've really struggled when somebody has said something wise to me because of my own stubbornness and arrogance, so I'd rather go the other way. You know, um, who has done that this week? Rather, oh, good, I'm glad we've got some honesty out here. <laughs> because it happens, doesn't it? We, we get so unteachable. And our view of life is based on experience and maybe opinion, but not on truth. And this is what the psalmist is driving at. He's pouring out his heart and he says, Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, just teach me your way. Let me get an understanding and a glimpse of who you are. And that will be enough to sustain me. And the motive is in the next two lines. I want to know your way, O Lord. Why? So I may walk in your truth. And so that my heart will be united to fear your name. They're the two reasons he puts out there. I want to know your way, Lord, because I want to walk in your truth. And I want a united heart. I want to have a heart that thirsts after you. And a heart that fears your name. Now this is not a fear like a Friday the 13th spooky fear. This is a a fear of awe and reverence. Actually, it could also be translated, unite my heart to teach your name. Could also be translated that way. Teach me your way, O Lord, so that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And as a result, I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. And then there's just more characteristics of God and who he is. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. When we cry out to the Lord in the middle of distress and um, trouble, I know my own heart, that's not the first thing that's on my lips. Lord, teach me. Because I'm between a rock and a hard place right at the moment, Lord, and I don't want to be taught anything. I just need some relief. But according to this psalm here, what it, what it was driving the process of transformation is the fact that you are teachable. You realize that the hardship and the trial is for your good. Now that's a hard thing to realize. And the result will be to understand truth. And where will we find the truth for the situation? In God's word. That's where you'll find the truth to comfort yourself in this situation. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. As we cry out to God, 
this week individually as you lament before the Lord. I pray your heart will be like this. You will have a teachable heart. A heart that thirsts after righteousness and truth. A heart that wants to understand what Jesus has taught, what God has taught in his word so that it can change our behavior and we can become obedient to him. Because you know what the result is here? And I love this. The result is just wholehearted thanks. Once again, the purpose of having been taught is to change the heart. When the heart changes, behaviors change. A lot of you hear appearance. As you work through the, the mire of bringing up children, this principle applies. Grab your children's heart. Don't try and change behavior by other ways other than addressing the heart issues. Because that's what's long-term and sustaining. Dress the heart, address the heart. My question for you as you wrestle through this psalm, what does it mean to walk in truth? What does it mean tomorrow as you wake up to walk in truth through the day? To have a teachable heart towards the promptings of the Spirit. What does that look like? Firstly, it starts with, I would believe, some time with the Lord. To be teachable, you've got to be spending time with the Lord. Maybe that's it this year. Maybe you're going to say, I'm going to need to spend more time with the Lord. I need to take that 15 or 20 minutes before anything else occurs to be before the Lord and be taught by him. In the conclusion of the psalm, we have three verses, four verses. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life and they do not set you before them. And we have a wonderful contrast statement. But you, O Lord, are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may... See and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Finally, towards the end of the psalm, we see the context of this prayer. We see that whoever the psalmist is, whether it's David or somebody else, that he's got some ruthless men trying to kill him. But we see the wonderful contrast once again based on God's character. But you, O Lord, you, Adonai, are a God merciful and gracious. Look at the attributes of God. God is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. Boy, aren't we happy about that. (laughs) He is slow to anger. And he abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. All these characters have been mentioned previously in the psalm. He's just rounding it off again. 
And then his final plea, turn to me and be gracious to me. Heard that before? Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Yahweh, have helped me and comforted me. His concluding remarks are based on God's character. God's character of mercifulness, graciousness, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness. And those gracious things of God provide strength and salvation for the psalmist and help and comfort. Do you know what, folks? We put our faith and trust in Christ. That is the same for us. This God does not change. Christ is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. Abounds in love. He abounds in faithfulness. And this is the heart of our devotion and prayer. If we understand and get a glimpse of God's character and Christ's character, then it provides strength and it provides assurance about our salvation because God's character does not change. It's immutable. It's unchangeable. So therefore we are secure in our relationship with him. And when we understand that security, that provides what? Hope and comfort. No matter what goes on around about us, if we get centered on God's character and his grace and his love for us, it will provide hope and comfort. God's character never changes. Our circumstances do. Yes, absolutely. But you know what? Through those circumstances, God's character works in our lives to develop what? Reliance on him. Dependence on him. So I hope this morning you're encouraged by this psalm. And you too can come before God's throne of grace and say, teach me, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And the first element of truth is that Christ provided a saviour. God provided a saviour. His name is Jesus Christ. Who paid the penalty of your sin so you may have life eternal. If you wrestle with that, understand that, you have salvation. You have hope. You have comfort. You have joy. You have a refreshed soul. And that's victorious living as a follower of Christ. That's victorious living. So I invite the music team to come up. We'll do our final song. And as we do, let's consider the wonderful character of God. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. And he is faithful. 
And that provides to us what? Hope and comfort. Glory to his name. Amen.